We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Here we are. Good morning to each and all here this morning. We are looking forward to have our brother Jansen come and teach us again this morning in this continuing series on the gospel and evangelism. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to touch base with you and see if there are any prayer requests that we can join you in prayer about this morning. All right. Well, very good. You'll think of some others for perhaps this evening and uh, or jot them down on a little prayer request uh, form that you can put into the offering plate, and I can pray for those. I did. Uh, I received one of those last week, I think it was, but I wasn't allowed to pray for it publicly, so... I had to keep that to myself, but uh, it was that was a nice uh, thing to receive from a young person in the church. So, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for allowing us the health and strength to be here this morning, to uh, for giving us the vehicles to get here, the gas to put in the tank, the money to buy that, the jobs that you've given to us, and all the rest. The blessings, uh, the breakfast this morning, if we had that. Uh, and, and everything associated with the start of a new day, the mercies that you have poured out upon us, the protection you've offered us, the fact that we're not in distress, we're not in war, uh, we're not in famine, uh, we're not in desperate need. We are grateful to you for that. However, some of our brothers and sisters around this globe that we find ourselves on are not in such uh, comfortable a state as we are. And we remember them today, even some in prison. We remember them too and help that to drive us to sobriety and seriousness about the matters of which we will speak this morning. We pray for our brother as he teaches. Give him a grace and a strength and recall in a manner that will be helpful to the dissemination of the truth and us hearts to receive and to be changed. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Brother Jansen, we welcome you up here. Do you want a little assistance with that? All right, that will be fine. Let me just, oh, we've got another helper there. Good. morning. Drew is handing out, um, for those who are, who are here in person, a uh, little one-pager handout titled, The Fundamentals of the Gospel. If you're watching online, this document's also available uh, where we normally upload those documents uh, to the um, bulletins and, and notes section on the website. And uh, you'll find that there if you'd like to follow along this morning. As uh, this will kind of be our outline this morning as we 
continue our series on personal evangelism. Last week, uh, we began that series by uh, mentioning some of the challenges that we face to personal evangelism. And I mentioned last week that our goal coming away from this series, Lord willing, is to reinforce our, our ability to communicate a clear and complete gospel message. I hope that is our hope as we share Christ with others to ensure that we're clear in what we say and also complete in that we share the full gospel. We're not sharing just some truncated version of it or uh, missing key components to the gospel message. And so that is our our goal in this series. And um, again, as I said before, we began by considering some of those challenges, though, that we face. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, regeneration, those who are born again, doesn't mean immediate and easy evangelism. It's uh, just like fighting against temptations is a battle. We also face similar battles in the Christian walk, including uh, going out and sharing Christ. And, uh, and, and it can be a challenge. We have to admit that and, and realize that and, and, and seek to overcome those challenges. We mentioned last week that one of those challenges uh, is that unbelievers have an innate inability to understand the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14 you don't have to turn there, although we will be looking at a multitude of verses, so uh, either just follow along or, um, or try to turn quickly with me as I go there. But 1 Corinthians 2.14, um, I think I already have the wrong verse in mind. Uh, I'll have to think about that for a moment. But we know from that passage uh, where it talks about the, the, the natural man, that is the unbeliever, is unable to understand, to discern the things of God. And so we face that challenge, the reality of that. And we talked about how last week uh, we have this feeling of inadequacy, and we said that's okay because you in and of yourself are inadequate. And so we have to trust, we have to rely upon the Spirit of God to work in a person who is depraved, who is unable to accept the truth, and to be able to come to a point where they do understand it because of the Spirit's work in them. We also said that unbelievers suppress the truth and their hearts are darkened. Romans chapter 1 tells us that, uh, that reality in which we ourselves once lived in, and we're also facing that when we evangelize to others that uh, they're going to suppress the truth. They have suppressed the truth. Anything that they know about God, Romans 1 tells us they've suppressed it and and their hearts have been darkened. We also uh, noted that uh, we face the, the, um, the challenge of the fact that the world is going after worldly pleasures. Unbelievers have no desire for spiritual matters, and so their hearts are full of idolatry, and seeking after the things of this world. And we have to help them realize that uh, the world uh, cannot offer what God has to offer them in terms of, of eternal satisfaction and, and restoring of a right relationship with him. We also noted that we and ourselves face challenges when we're trying to evangelize, so we mostly just focused on the challenges in the, in the hearts of others, but we also have our own uh, inabilities or challenges in evangelism, and that is that uh, our own sin nature and spiritual immaturity, where in which we don't even, uh, we don't have a desire to evangelize, perhaps. We're too caught up in ourselves and in in this world, and uh, we're not mature in our walk with the Lord enough to consider even the needs of the lost. 
I hope that's none of us this morning. I, I don't perceive it is, but that can be a challenge in, the, in some believers. We also noted that um, perhaps what hinders us and challenges us from sharing the gospel is just simply a lack of understanding of what the gospel is and the whole Bible as a whole as we seek to present it. And uh, the way to overcome that, of course, is to be students of the word. And that is in part why we're here this morning, is to make sure that we have a clear and uh, complete understanding of the gospel. Finally, or one other thing that we noted last week, is that one of the challenges that we face is just fears. Fears of rejection or persecution, perhaps embarrassment because of our inability to effectively communicate the gospel. And those fears can keep us, though they shouldn't, from sharing the gospel with others. All of these things, though, can be overcome, whether it be by the Spirit of God or uh, your own uh, diligence in studying the Word and uh, not worrying about the, the uh, reactions of others to what we have to say, but relying on Christ to help us to clearly and completely present the gospel. <clears throat> Scripture commands us to make immature disciples and so it is our responsibility to be sharing the gospel with others. And we could look at a multitude of passages that, uh, that describe and explain that command for us. It is our responsibility. Uh, think of the Great Commission to go and to make disciples. That is not just a call for uh, the pastoral leadership of churches. That is a call for every believer to be making and maturing disciples in the context of the local church and abroad around the world. Our love, though, um, and motives to share the gospel should go beyond mere obedience to that command. Let me say that again. You know, our motives go beyond just the fact that we have a command to share the gospel. There should be other uh, motives that correspond with that as well. And that is this. We ought to be motivated to share the gospel because we have a love for God and we have a love for the lost. That should be motivating us to obey this command say that a different way, the person who has no desire to share the gospel severely lacks in a love for God and for unbelievers. I hope you have a desire this morning for your neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, or a spouse to come to Christ. That should be naturally flowing out of a believer, a love for them to know Christ. And so our obedience to this command comes out of a love for God and a love for the lost not simply because we're told to do so. If you have a desire to see the lost saved, but do not know what to say, that problem can be overcome. Don't fear. Of course, it will require you to put in some sweat and effort to be better equipped, but you must believe that God can use you. He can use you, and he will use you to reach others with, for Christ. But this requires us to be crystal clear on exactly what the gospel is if we're going to be effectively sharing it with others. So let's consider for a moment a few definitions of the gospel and see if we can arrive at a clear understanding of what the gospel is. And I would say this, we'll look at a few definitions just here in a second, but this would be an excellent exercise for all of us to do on our own, to try to come up with a clear and concise definition of what exactly the gospel is. 
And I think uh, we should be able to do that in two or three sentences, uh, be able to come up with a clear, concise definition. That doesn't mean we don't expand upon it, you know, when we're speaking with people, but if we can't boil it down to a, a clear and concise statement, then I think, uh, you know, we need to work on honing our understanding of, of the gospel. So uh, I'm going to read a few definitions of the gospel. What I want you to do as you, as you listen to these is to consider in your mind what are the key components of the gospel and are they, uh, are they included in these definitions or is there something missing? And I'll, I'll give you a hint that some of these uh, definitions are missing what I think are key tenets or fundamentals to the gospel. One uh, theologian or scholar defined the gospel as this. The good news is that God's face will always be turned towards you, regardless of what you have done, where you have been, or how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and is turned to you in your direction looking for you. That's one scholar's attempt at defining the gospel. Another says this, the gospel itself refers to the proclamation that Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah, is the one true and only Lord of the world. Okay? It's not wrong, but I would uh, cause you or have you think, you know, is that the full gospel or is that just one component to the gospel? Another says, here's the gospel in a phrase, because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing, Christ died in my place. That's the gospel. Another says, Jesus, who is God, lived, died, and rose again, and you will be saved if you turn from your sin and trust Jesus. I think we're moving in a better direction. I hope you've seen that as we walk through these definitions. And, uh, and, and so be thinking about that. Another uh, described or defined the gospel in this way. Jesus, who died on the cross for sins, rose again as the Lord and Christ of the world and now offers forgiveness and salvation and eternal life to all those who repent and submit to his rule and faith. Two more here. Another. Uh, this is... From yours truly, Pastor Matt. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners and rose again from the dead, and that if you exercise repentant faith in him, you will be forgiven of your sin. You will be accounted righteous in Christ. You will enjoy a good relationship with God, and you will participate in the kingdom of God forever. I think that's an excellent definition of the gospel of Christ, and also including an aspect which I hope you have seen others don't include about our future participation in the kingdom of God and that essential component to the gospel, important one. And then finally, um, one more definition here, and this is um, kind of my definition here, and it is the gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for sins and rose again from the dead and now offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who repent and trust in him. A little shorter definition, um, perhaps, than even pastors, and the reason I wanted to include that is to say that um, I don't think it's wrong to expand and to kind of uh, contract, so to speak, the gospel so that you can have a good, uh, succinct definition that you can even memorize. 
I understand it's difficult to memorize maybe a definition that's four, five, six sentences long, although you should be familiar with something like that, but I think you should also have something in mind that's maybe two or three sentences that you just have ingrained in your mind that if someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? Just like that, you could quote it off in, uh, you know, in, in a few sentences. So I would consider, or I would encourage you to, to do a similar exercise, uh, maybe even using some of the thoughts of what you heard in these definitions, to come up with one of your own and to make sure that it includes uh, the key components of the gospel. So let me remind you that when we talk about the gospel, this is what the gospel is. Just quoting again this definition. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for sins and rose again from the dead and now offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who repent and trust in him. That is the gospel. Now, as we consider this question of what is the gospel today, this morning here, I think we can, all, we, can, uh, we can benefit from looking at the examples of the, of the apostles in the New Testament. I think we can successfully define the core tenets of the gospel by looking at what the earliest Christians, namely the writers of the scriptures, including even the Old Testament authors as well, and to see what they said about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, yesterday during a men's prayer time and study, we looked at Acts chapter 10, and looked at uh, Peter's presentation, his proclamation of the gospel to the household of Cornelius, and it was a very profitable time, looking at what, what essential components did Peter have in his presentation? What, was, what did he see as important to communicate when sharing Christ with the lost? And if you remember last week, though we did it quickly, we looked at Acts chapter 17, and looked at some of uh, Paul's components to his preaching of the gospel, and I think uh, we were able to learn some helpful uh, things from that. And we're not going to look at any specific passage this morning for even just sake of time. But I would say this, uh, for a little bit of homework, in addition to the whole definition thing, is read Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 13, 17, like we did last week. All passages which include a clear presentation or proclamation of the gospel and see if you can find some parallelism between what, those, uh, what the authors are saying, what the, the preachers are saying, Peter in some cases, Paul and others. What do, what do they see as important to communicate when sharing Christ? And if we look at the apostles' writings and sermons in the Bible, we'll find them explaining, sometimes very briefly and sometimes at greater length, what they learned from Jesus himself about the good news. And from this, uh, I think we can even capture a helpful framework of truths around which the apostles and early Christians structured their preaching of the good news of Jesus. For instance, last week, as I said, we saw in Acts 17 that Paul, when preaching in Athens, began by explaining to them who the Creator is and how we ought to relate to that Creator as God and, and so forth. Then Paul explained that God has appointed a man to judge the world, that man being Jesus Christ. And so using even that kind of framework of beginning back at the Creator all the way to Christ, I think we can find a helpful framework uh, to work from. So as you, um, if you look at your, your handout this morning here, you'll notice that um, what I have done is I have taken... Um, 
a helpful framework, both from the apostles and their teaching, but also from a book uh, which I was reading this past week um, called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. And I can't, uh, I can't, uh, can't get behind everything he says in that book as far as just his theological positions, but I think what he has provided is a, help, is a helpful framework in which we can present the gospel. And you'll see on the very left-hand column there, um, this uh, vertical kind of uh, wording here, which says, God, man, Christ, response, and result. I think that's a very helpful framework for us to think about when we're presenting the gospel and thinking, what should I include in this, you know, in this proclamation? Think, okay, I need to start with God. Then I need to explain the problem with man. So man, you know, the problem of sin. And then Christ, of course, the essential component to the gospel message. What did Christ do about this problem that man has? What should our response be to what Christ has done? And what is the result of that if we respond correctly to uh, the, that, that gospel uh, proclamation? So God, man, Christ, response, and result. If you can keep those in mind, I think that's a very helpful framework. I'm not saying it's the only one. In fact, next week we'll probably look at a few others. And maybe you have your own kind of framework you've used, uh, but I think this is a good place to start. And so what's happening in this handout here is kind of from top to bottom is an, is an explanation of the gospel, and from left to right is greater detail. So we obviously start at a very general uh, description of God, and then to the right we have the truth drawn from Scripture that God is the creator, for instance, and God is the holy and righteous judge. And then to the right, we have even further explanation of what that means. And what I would encourage you to do is to, as you read that explanation, uh, think about it in your own words. Uh, the last thing I really want you to do is to take this and sit down with your neighbor and just, you know, read it verbatim. No, uh, that's going to sound very impersonal, for one, uh, more of a sales tactic in that sense. But it needs to be your, your own words. But I think, you know, what is here is a helpful place to start, and, uh, and you can kind of, again, craft it into your own words in a way that makes sense to you as you present the gospel. So what I'd like to do in the remainder of our time this morning is to just kind of walk through this, and uh, this is the gospel here as it's presented, and I think it would be helpful if we kind of look through it, read some of it together, look at some of these verses and uh, begin to ingrain some of these truths into our minds so that uh, we can easily present it to others as we have opportunity. Now, depending on the length of time that you have with a person you are trying to reach, you can, again, as I said, provide more explanation and more scripture than what I have listed here. I have you know, a few verses kind of per, per row, but there may be others that you like to use, and that's perfectly fine. I encourage that for you to be good students of the word and to think of other verses that can bolster these truths. <clears throat> and I would challenge you to commit the things which uh, we are about to look at to memory uh, as, as much as possible and be able to say them, again, as I said, in your own words in a way in which uh, makes sense to you. Let's begin by then uh, looking at this handout and looking at the section titled God at the very top there. First, I think it's important that we communicate that God is the creator. 
And even looking or reminding ourselves of Acts 17, that's where Paul began in his message, especially to the Gentiles who were unfamiliar uh, at large with the Old Testament scriptures. And uh, we said last week, I think that is more and more prevalent today. The amount of biblical illiteracy is astronomical. Uh, those who have no idea who even Jesus is. And so it's essential, I think, that we go back and begin back in Genesis chapter 1, back at the very beginning, and explain to them who God is. God is first your creator. God created mankind, we can, we, you can say, to love and serve him and to have fellowship with him. As God's creation, we are accountable to him. Uh, let me just read for you Romans chapter 1, Genesis 1.27. I'm sure you're already familiar with where in which God says, you know, let us make man in our own image. So in the image of God, he created him, male and female. Romans chapter 1, though, verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made and even to even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. As God's creation, we are accountable to him. And scripture tells us, and don't let anyone say otherwise, that they are under, able to understand that there is a God. Now, they have suppressed that truth, but they are able to understand, even from just the general revelation, the things that they see, creation around them, that there is a God and that then um, makes them without excuse. Every person is accountable to God. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Let me turn there and read that for you. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. We are accountable to him, um, Romans tells us that uh, the law is written on our hearts, even those who were not even given the law, per se, the Mosaic law to the Jews, but the law was written on their hearts, God's moral truth, yet they chose to suppress it in unrighteousness. Yet they are still culpable, responsible, and accountable to him for their sin. So we need to make sure people understand this, that they are accountable to God. Man loves to be self-autonomous, to think that he is the ruler of himself. He is only accountable to himself, but he is not. He is accountable to God. Secondly, under this section of God, I think it's important that we convey that God is the holy and righteous judge. Because of his holiness and righteousness, God cannot overlook sin. He cannot overlook sin. Psalm 89, let me turn there. Breaking in your Bible this morning, looking at all various passages from different portions of Scripture. Psalm 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. We could also look at Exodus chapter 34. I'll turn there and feel free if you'd like to, or if you just uh, want to listen closely as I read it. 
Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. The truth that we pull from here is that God cannot overlook sin because of his righteousness, because of his holiness, uh, he has to uh, he has to uh, bring about the punishment that is deserving. He has to exact judgment. Another uh, verse that we could look at, though we won't just now, but it's there on your on your paper, is Habakkuk one thirteen, that further uh, brings out the truth of his holiness and righteousness, and his need to punish sin. Again, this isn't a full explanation. I think you can provide more than just what's here in further verses, but I think this is a helpful start. From there, we move to the section of man, wherein it's important that we relay to those who we're reaching out to with the gospel that humanity rebelled and sinned against God. It be helpful to explain to them that from the very beginning, man... And specifically, Adam, the first man created and the representative of all humanity, rebelled against God. Take them to Genesis chapter 3. I think that would be a very helpful place to go and to walk them through uh, that portion of Scripture, showing them from the Scriptures where uh, humanity rebelled. As a result, sin and death entered into the world both physical death, though Adam didn't experience that immediately. Uh, God told him he would die, but also there was an immediate spiritual death. And that's represented in the fact that you know, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. They were separated from God. That relationship, the fellowship which they once had, that perfect fellowship, was now broken. And that has happened for all of us uh, from birth. At this point, you know, we are imputed with the sin of Adam, we have this sin nature. We are separated from God. That fellowship is not there. And therefore, uh, we need Christ in order to restore that fellowship. And so I think it's important that uh, we communicate that uh, humanity sinned against God. Sin and death entered the world. In this important aspect, which we just said, Adam passed his sinful nature to all of his offspring. So we all have a sin nature, each one of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, helpfully tells us this. Just, excuse me, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. As the representative of humanity, of all mankind, uh, we also participated uh, in that sin of Adam. Secondly, under the heading of man, it's important that we communicate to those who are reaching out to that we all sin and rightly deserve his just punishment. 
No one is perfect. We know this. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 is clear about this. As it is written, it says, there is no none righteous, no, not one. We have to help those who are lost understand that they are sinners because in their darkened hearts, they will often reject that notion of their sinfulness, the depravity of their soul. So we, help, we need to help them understand that they are woefully depraved and sinful to the very core. I think it's also helpful that we give a, a clear definition of what sin is. Sin is any disobedience to God's commands, whether in word, thought, or action. Many times in, uh, in the door-to-door evangelism that I've done, when, asked, when asking someone, you know, have you, have you sinned? Do you admit that you've, you've done wrong things? And um, they may, you know, they may say, well, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I lied or something, but, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Or, you know, I've never murdered someone. But then, you know, we often followed up, Did you, have you ever lusted after someone in your heart? Have you ever thought evil of someone? Well, maybe, yeah. Well, that's a sin. Even the very thought is a sin. We have to help them understand that word, thought, or actions, any disobedience to God and his word is sin. And God's just punishment for that sin is physical and spiritual death, as we already communicated. Romans 3.23 is a very helpful verse to help them understand their sinfulness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. We rightly deserve his just punishment for the sins which we commit Now, that is the bad news, and if you were to stop there, uh, we would be woefully short of presenting the gospel, only leaving with them a a feeling of condemnation, which uh, isn't untrue or a bad feeling in a sense, uh, but that's not the end of the gospel, and so we must continue on and share with them uh, what is actually the good news, and that is that Christ uh, has done a work on our behalf. And so we continue on preaching Christ to them, and we look at the section of Christ in which we say in the truth column there that Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life. We should explain to them exactly what the Son of God means. It means that he is equal to God. He is divine. In every divine aspect, he is like God. He is God. Um, And so that is important to convey that he is fully God. That's what we're trying to convey here to them to help them understand who Jesus is. On the other side, though, we have to be clear and help them understand that he was also fully man, yet, unlike us in this one sense, he was without sin. He did not have a sin nature. There's a number of passages that you can go to. I won't take the time this morning for sake of time, but uh, you can look at those, and I, I encourage you to add more to that list. Secondly, we communicate to them, we should, that Jesus died for our sins, and was buried, help them understand that the death that Jesus died was a voluntary death. 
on our behalf. He was our substitute. We deserve to hang there, yet Christ died in our place. Even our death, though, wouldn't have been able to remove the punishment of our sin because uh, we did not live a perfect life. Uh, we, um, only God could atone for the sins of man. And so Christ died in our place to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. There's a number of verses again there that you can look at. Thirdly, in this section of Christ, we communicate that Jesus rose from the dead so we can have eternal life. Jesus' resurrection from the dead ensures that we can be forgiven and justified. Christ had merely died, and that was it. What hope do we have? We can chalk it up to, well, maybe he was just another man like us. But no, he he was resurrected, resurrected. Christ rose from the dead to ensure victory over sin and death, to give us assurance that we can be forgiven that we are justified, declared righteous. It also does this, though, the resurrection. It shows his authority over all things. He is God. He is Lord. He is creator. He is the judge of the righteous and the unrighteous. Fourthly, in the section of Christ, We ought to communicate to those who are reaching out to that the Lord Jesus will return to judge all people and rule the earth with justice. Those who believe in Jesus will be judged as righteous. Psalm 98.9 says this, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 4.5. But why will they be judged righteous? Because of the applied work of Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, in that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It's not works-based, but it is because of the applied work of Christ on your behalf that you will be judged as righteous. On the other hand, those who do not believe in Jesus will be judged as guilty, condemned for their sins, because of their accountability to God and because he is a holy and righteous judge. Finally, or not finally, but moving into the section of response, I think it's important that we call out a similar command which we see uh, conveyed in the Gospels, where in which the disciples and Christ and his ministry did what? Commanded all men to repent and to believe. That is a command. It's not just simply an invitation, as sometimes we kind of use that language. It is a command. You ought to repent. You must repent and believe in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus. To repent means to turn from sin and to turn from God. I think it would be helpful if you read Mark 1.15 and Acts chapter 17, verse 30, where we were last week. And it's important that we help them understand that when we talk about repentance, we're talking about about not just simply a change of mind about who Jesus is, but a change uh, that, that changes our intellect, our emotions, our will, so that we no longer, um, we no longer live in sin, 
but we seek to live for Christ with all of our being. Um, it's been helpfully said that you know, it, repentance and belief is the response of the whole person to the whole of Christ. It's all of us that is responding to the gospel, not just our mind but our will, so that we turn from sin. To believe in him means to trust in the person and work of Jesus as the only way to receive forgiveness of sins. Finally, for those who respond to the gospel, it's important that we share with them what the results of their response are. What does it mean to believe? What is the, what is the results of this? What does this mean for me personally? Share with them that if you believe in Jesus, God forgives your sins and restores you to a right relationship with himself. The result of belief is justification, being declared righteous, and fellowship with God forever. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise that is, isn't it? Peace with God. A restored, a reconciled relationship to him. The result, though, isn't just justification and fellowship, which are important parts, but also freedom from bondage to sin. To believe in Christ means that you are freed from the dominion of sin and from sin's bondage and placed into Christ. You are a new creature, a creature, a new creation. Belief also promises entrance into the future kingdom of God, which will be ruled by Jesus. And this, in communicating this, helps them understand that God's work, God's redemptive plan, includes more than just their personal salvation. That's important. But Pastor and I were talking about this earlier this week. That's, that's almost like just the door to the kingdom of God. That's the entrance into something much larger that God is doing. Yes, you're, you're an important part of it. And that kingdom is, made up, kingdom is made up of individuals who have personally, respond, personally responded to Jesus. But God is doing much more than just saving individuals. Help them understand that. And I think that also uh, brings about wonderful blessings to know that and to embrace that. Finally, belief promises eternal life with God forever. What a wonderful message um, God's word brings to us. Showing us the way of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the blessings that come from believing and repenting of our sin. Believing in the work and person of Jesus Christ. I hope uh, you can use this uh, one-page handout to reach those around you. Again, as I've said, it's you know, work, use it, change it as you, as you see fit. And, uh, but make sure that when you're communicating the word of God, the gospel, that you have a clear and complete gospel uh, proclamation. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
I pray that, we, though we didn't say this um, specifically, that as we've read uh, what's written here, that we realize what we're simply doing is communicating what your word says. We're not trying to change it to make it more inviting. We're simply trying to be faithful to your word. That also helpfully reminds us that it's, it's your word that has the power, not ours. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. May we remind, remind ourselves of this and, and live according to that truth. Lord, may you give us the confidence and the boldness to share your word with others. May we evaluate our own hearts this morning to ponder whether we truly have a love for you and for the lost. If we do, Lord, we will be about the business of sharing Christ with others. It may take hard work and effort. It's not easy. Lord, you have called us to do this, and we want to lovingly and obediently follow your word. Help us to do so um, by your spirit's strength. In Christ's name, amen.